Um, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to, um, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Are you here or um, alone in this auditorium? <laughs> it's so, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, <clears throat> I, Paul starts his um, argument with the Galatians and those who came among them to drift them away from the focus, their focus on Christ by asking questions. So I would like to, uh, to start my sermon with asking um, you and myself a question as well. What is our Christian confidence founded on? Does it change according to our performances? Does it change when we have a good day or a bad day? When we have a good day, does our confidence get boosted and we sing loudly and walk upright? And we, when we have a bad day, we feel insecure in our relationship and work with God? The whole world tells us to put our confidence on our performance, to measure others on their performance. But the gospel invites us to put our full confidence on the finished work of Christ. When our Christian confidence fluctuates, it's a sign of diversion from our gospel centrality, adrift from our original conviction in the sufficiency of Christ to all aspects of our life. It's a sign that we are either adding something on Christ, Christ plus something, which is actually becomes nothing, or subtracting Christ minus something, seeking something else to address what we feel is missing in Christ. We may not depend on anything, or anything in his, uh, 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 we may not depend on anything other than Christ uh, in a majority of cases when it comes to our justification, but we are tended to, to depend on our performance and morality for our sanctification. This is what Paul is addressing in this letter. The Galatians started with total reliance on Christ for their justification as well as sanctification. Paul starts in chapter 3 by reminding them that where their focus was, he said, before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You heard the finished work of Christ. The word finished was echoing through your system, through your being. You knew it was finished, it's done. You are accepted by the merit of Christ. The word, so then they started to drift away from the total focus on Christ and his cross for the totality of their life. So he asks them again, who has bewitched you? Who have taken your attention away from Christ? Who put a spell on you? It's a very, very strong statement. What is it that you received from God on your own merit? 
There's a righteous anger in Paul's voice, at times directed to those who promote the drift and other times on the, 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 the Galatians themselves. So the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to churches in the region of Galatia to warn them about the lies of certain Jewish Christian teachers who were teaching the necessity of obeying the law of Moses. These guys were essentially saying that in order to be a good Christian, you first had to be a good Jew and that you had to keep all of the Old Testament commandments, even the ones about being circumcised. Only by keeping this law would the Galatians experience God's acceptance. Paul totally rejected that notion. Instead, he started answering the place and purpose of the law. What then is the purpose of the law? Why did the law of Moses came? If it's not meant for our salvation, if it's not meant to be the ladder by which we climb up to heaven by our good works, if that's not what it was for, then what was it for? Paul makes it clear in chapter 3 through all the, his arguments that law was not ultimately given to be a ladder on which we could climb up to God. No, the law was given to be a thermometer to show us how sick we are because of sin, how weak we are, how unable we are to keep God's law, how much we need a savior. That's the, 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 the business of the law, the the purpose of the law. And he also started talking about the supremacy of the promise given to Abraham and how through faith in the Galatians inherited that promise through Christ. Therefore, chapter 4 is a continuation of the chapter, chapter 3. Paul starts in chapter 4 by saying, I mean that. So connecting what he was saying before. We can hear three things from this portion of scripture that Paul is saying to the Galatians. He's saying, first, Recognize the chain of human effort. Recognize the chain of human effort. The second thing he's saying is that resist the temptation to go back to slavery. And the third thing he was saying to them was rejoice in your new position of sonship in Christ. Recognize the chains of human effort. Paul wanted the Galatians to recognize the bondage of human effort. The human effort is signified here by the law and the elementary principle of the world as it is indicated in, in chapter 3. Uh, and he talked about it in, in, uh, in ch chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 8. They both talk about the elementary principle of the world. So he was, talking, he was dealing with the people who had a Jew background, Jew, and also the Gentiles, who the Jews were um, connected to the law and why the Gentiles were, were worshipping uh, of uh, pagan, pagan uh, gods. So Paul is talking about the Jewish people being under the guardianship of the law of Moses. So Paul declares that being under the law in this way, the Jews were in fact enslaved to the elementary principle of the world. But when you get to, uh, down to verse 8, Paul switches from we to you to, because he's now talking about the pagan past of his Gentile audience. They didn't have the law of Moses, but before hearing the message of Christ, they were worshipping gods and goddesses like Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite and those kinds of uh, gods. Paul described their condition in verse 3. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless, uh, worthless elementary principle of the world? So there is similarity between the, 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 Jew, the Jews who has the law of God and the Gentiles who, who were engaged in pagan worship. 
That is to do with issue of human, human effort. Both of them were trying to reach God by their, by their performance, by, the, uh, by their effort. Whether we are trying to follow the commands of the true God or performing rituals to a false God, our focus is to make everything about our religious performance and human effort. What the Jewish and Gentile worshippers had in common was the fact that both were ultimately focused on human effort. So he wanted the Galatians to recognize this similarity. He wanted them to see that depending on human effort is in reality a return to slavery, a return to chains. Just because the human effort which the Galatians were invo- uh, invited to perform is disguised as keeping the law of God doesn't make it right. It's going back to their previous state of slavery. Why was it easy for them to quickly turn away from the sufficiency of Christ? They were rejoicing. They were liberated. They were happy. They were so uh, overwhelmed by the love of God and all of a sudden just quickly switched, uh, switched off to, to, to a human effort. What was, why was that? Maybe, I, I feel like, there was uh, maybe two or three, three things that, that was playing in their mind. There was a feeling of inferiority, I believe. They felt that just because they were not Jews, they were second citizens in the kingdom of God. They were not secured in who they were in Christ. There was insecurity. If there's a slight insecurity about God's love for us, on his acceptance of us, we will start to perform, to rely on our effort to be loved and accepted by God. That leads us back to slavery. When we engage in performance and uh, uh, rely on our effort, the first thing that we lo- we'll be losing is our joy. You know, it makes us feel guilty rather than loved. It produces self-hatred rather than humility. It stresses performance over relationship. It points out how far we fall short rather than how far we have done. I think secondly, their past religious life was creeping up. You see, religion is man's endeavor to reach God. It encouraged and founded on performance. So if we come from a religious background, there's a temptation to return back to the old habit. You struggle to digest the free gift of God. That was my my background. I came from a religious background, an orthodox Christian background, without having personal encounter with Christ. And... My tendency, my posture was to be accepted by God in my performance, by giving to the poor, by doing good things. That was, that was, the, that was my, 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 tend, my uh, upbringing, my background. When I came to Christ, that used to creep up until I stand to recognize and to be aware that there is a possibility for me actually to, to get into performance. This is a, a continuous perf- uh, uh, temptation and, uh, and possibility. There might have been a tendency to rely on feeling, or uh, certainly there is, might have been a tendency to rely on feeling rather than walking by faith. So if you rely on your feeling to know God's love, forgiveness, and acceptance for you, when you feel bad, your circumstances, ch- or circumstances change, your eyes are end up discouraged or engaged in performing to feel loved and accepted. accepted. God wants us to walk by faith on his word, not by our feeling. Our feeling doesn't give us the right, the right information about our, our state of relationship with God. We are children of the living God. 
So Paul advised them to recognize the chains of human effort, how seeking to rely on, on human effort and performance is the way to their previous state of slavery. But not only recognize it, but resist it. He says, resist the temptation to go back to slavery. Never forget the possibility of drifting away from the sufficiency of the gospel, both for our justification as well as sanctification. There's always a possibility and temptation because the whole world is telling us that your worth depends on your performance. That's why we consume every single day out there. So when we come to Christ, that, that, that creeps up in our mind. Uh, to, to be in our relationship with God, to, to, be, to, to rely on our effort as if God accepted us because of our good performance. So there is always a temptation. We need to be aware of that in our hearts and our minds. Paul emphasized in verse uh, 1 to 3, even though the Jews were God's covenant people, even though they were to inherit God's promises to Abraham, they were still like children of the land owner, children under the supervision of guardians and managers. And so they were, in a sense, as Paul puts it, held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming phase would be revealed. So Paul described in verse 1, when the heir is a child, he's no different than a slave. Why? Because both lack true freedom. And this is exactly why Paul is warning the Galatians to resist human performance. For them to turn to the law of Moses in order to be right with God is just like going back to the very slavery they knew when they were worshiping false gods, false idols. And so the very freedom they sought when they first heard the gospel was the very freedom they were giving up by trying to observe the law. But there is temptation. You see, we are learned to work for the things we have. Therefore, we are tempted to do the same, to work and to perform for our acceptance, our relationship with God. We have learned and encouraged by our culture to be independent, no matter how false that is. to take the steering wheel, to be, to be in charge of our life. So to depend on the work of another is foreign to us. So the temptation arises to earn rather than to inherit. Paul says that we have, that we have to resist with all our might. And thirdly, I think we, we, if we had an experience of rejection and hurt, we tend to rely on our performance to be accepted. Because that rejection informs us continuously that we are not good enough. We have to be better, work, perform, and we close our hearts not to be hurt again. And that could keep God outside of our heart and making it difficult for us to receive and experience his love. We may uh, accept it objectively as a true statement, without experiencing it personally. So naturally, we'll be tempted to rely on our performance. Jesus is not like those people who hurt and rejected us. He's at the door knocking, saying, if you open for me, I will come in and remain, never to leave you again. We have to resist the temptation of going back to slavery, relying on our effort to be accepted by God. Thirdly, but there is one more point that Paul wants them to understand. The Galatians needed to recognize the chain of human effort 
and resist the temptation to go back to slavery. But Paul is urging them there is, to, uh, there is here to face the deception by rejoicing in their new position as sons and daughters of God. The best antidote to drifting, to relying on our performance is to rejoice in the fatherhood of God. God is our father. The Galatians didn't need to keep the law in order to go from outside to the inside. They don't need to perform. They were already inside. They were God's own children. This position is achieved by what God has done through Christ. You know, Paul described you know, how God did it. Christ is qualified and able to save us because of who he is, his incarnation, and paying the price for our redemption. So Jesus, uh, you know, he, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, that's the date set by the Father, as it was described in verse 2. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus, you know, Jesus' entrance into time and space was at just the right theological, political, and religious time to take advantage of a climate that would facilitate uh, his multiplying uh, movement. So, so on that perfect time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, he is eternal God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is divine. Not only divine, but also human. Born of a woman. Jesus was made to be like us so he could stand with us and for us. So Jesus was real flesh and blood in order that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest who is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is truly human in what, what full humanity looks like. But he was not just only divine and human, he was born under the law. Jesus was born under the law in order to do what we could not do and could never do. He was born under the law in order to keep the law perfectly. That's what uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. So he was born under the law. And he did that in order to redeem those who were under the law. Since he obeyed the law perfectly, he was able to redeem or buy us out of slavery through the payment of his own debts, so that we might receive adoption to sonship, to be sons and daughters of God. Now, we become sons and daughters of God through the work of redemption, and that redemption was more than just a transfer of ownership from one master to another. It was that, but, but that redemption was also adoption. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, the slave became a son. We were slaves to sin, to the law, to the elementary things of the world system. Now from that, we were not just came to the kingdom of God, but we became the family of God. We became sons and daughters of God. In the, so we become adopted to the kingdom of God. In the Greek or Roman practice of adoption emphasized the legal rights and privileges belong to the person adopted. The concept of adoption then explains the high status of those who have believed in Christ. 
Many years ago, Madonna was on the headline having adopted a Malawian boy with the approval of his widowed father. Torn with giving up his son, the father said he had initially told Madonna would just educate and take care of him, his son. He didn't understand the, 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 the legal right of adoption, what adoption was. He thought she would be just, you know, uh, taking care of his son. I was never told, he said, adoption means that David will no longer be my son. If I was told this, I would not have allowed the adoption, he said. You see, he thought she would take care of him. But, but when, when Madonna adopted his son, he ceased to be the father. She became the mother. The leg he's, he's legally adopted to her with all the, the privileges that, that is um, involved in there. And his, son lo his father lost that power over or that um, right over his son. That's what happened to us. When we are adopted to the kingdom of God, all that, uh, who, uh, when we, those things that were claiming uh, over, uh, uh, over us, all the power of slavery have been broken from our life. We have been adopted into the kingdom of God. Praise God. So adoption is the highest privilege the Bible offers for, uh, in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, God takes us into his family and establishes us his children. The very concept of adoption itself is a proof and a guarantee of our eternal security. And what is the proof? Paul said, the proof is the Holy Spirit. God gave us the spirit of his son. He said, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So the spirit of Jesus gives us assurance that we, are, we already belong to God. We, he teaches us to cry out saying, Abba, Father. We have access to the same intimacy with God the Father that God the Son, Jesus Christ, had. Because we have his spirit, the spirit of sonship. We, can, we are the sons and daughters of God. And, and we can cry out, addressing God the Father, Abba, when you prayed, Abba, Father, as it was recorded in, in, the, uh, in the book of Mark. Now, crying out, Abba, Father, we don't whisper. It's not about whispering. Abba, Father. Like lack of confidence. No. It says, cry out, Abba, Father. We don't whisper. If we were hesitant to speak uh, so affectionately, instead we cry out, Abba, Father. Calvin commented on crying out. He said, I consider that this participle is used to express great boldness. Uncertainty doesn't let us speak calmly, but keeps our mouths half shut so that the half-broken words can hardly escape from a stammering tongue. Crying, on the contrary, is a sign of certainty and unwavering confidence. Abba, Father. Luther also said this. I, I love what Luther said. He said, let the law, sin, and the devil cry out against us until their outcry fills heaven and earth. The Spirit of God outcries them all. Our feeble groans, Abba, Father, will be heard of God sooner than the combined racket of hell, sin, and the law. Praise God. Abba, Father. 
I don't. I, I would like to share my own story. Uh, I, I hope you, you wouldn't mind. My father died when I was um, uh, three years old, and I didn't know my father very well. I, I only remember two things about my father. Don't laugh. You're not allowed to laugh. One is uh, um, when I was three. I think um, I, I, I wet the bed. Uh, I was sleeping with him, and I wet the bed, and he was really angry. And I, I remember that fully. And the second thing uh, was that I remember about my father was we were uh, we were sitting on the veranda out, out outside, and and I was he, he was sitting, and I was uh, he uh, I was leaning on his knee, and he was just touching my hair and saying "germai." That means like a very affectionate word uh, for "germai." Germai. So he was touching my my hair. So if you if you like. Discipline and love. I, this is the two things I remember about my father. And in, in Ethiopian uh, culture, we call our fathers Ababa, like, like uh, you see it here in the Bible, Abba, Father. And that is a very precious word. And I never had a chance to call, uh, to use that word, Ababa, Abba. So that's so precious to me. So I remember when I was really little, um, going to my room because I didn't want my mother to hear. Uh, and be upset about it. So I closed the door and just cry out, Abba, 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 until I uh, get satisfied. There was this hunger in me. So sometimes I, I don't know why, I was, I was actually saying Abba while kneeling, and sometimes I sleep on the floor while, I'm, uh, while, I, uh, while I call that. And, that, and I remember uh, growing up uh, really desiring for my uh, friend's uh, dads to uh, uh, allow me to call them father. And my mother married um, uh, uh, my stepfather. He was a really, really a great guy. But I, couldn't, I just couldn't call him Abba because I was not born of him. There was no, I just couldn't say Abba to him. It just didn't make any sense. But growing up, as even as a teenager, I was very close to my friend's father. You know, I just, I just really lacked that, that there was that um, cry in me, uh, father. So... I came to know the Lord, and, and, it, it, and as I said to you, uh, I brought up in a religious family where God is the judge, the holy one up there, and, you know, fatherhood is nowhere, nowhere to be conceived. You, you know, so that is kind of the, the, the background I, 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 I brought up in. So, um, the, so I, after I came to the Lord, um, <clears throat> one, I mean, maybe after six months or so, I was attending a prayer meeting, a weekly prayer meeting, and the guy who was leading the prayer meeting said to me, next week you'll be sharing your testimony. And, I, and, and then I was a very shy person, you know, uh, as you, you can see. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, so um, the, he, uh, he said, so I went home around midnight. I went inside the house, and I was just started to, to you know, uh, be terrified of the fact that I would be standing in front of people telling my story and what am I going to say? So I prayed and then I, I went to bed and I was, I, was, I was thinking, my mind went back to my childhood and I just remembered crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, and then all of a sudden remembered that just a minute ago I was kneeling down and praying and go, calling God, Abba. So I sat on my bed, and I just said, what, me? 
how would I call, who, who do you think, you know, the, my mind, who do you think you are, who, uh, who do you think you are to call God a Baba, you know? And then I didn't know the Bible that, that much, you know, within six, six months uh, of my Christian life. So, but the, you know, but because that was the day that God wants to heal me, there was a, the, the Spirit of God, I believe, you know, reminded me that word. I don't even remember where I heard it, but from Romans chapter 8, it says, he gave us the spirit of, um, uh, a spirit of uh, adoption to call him Abba, Father. And that I, I, I know that he's not just uh, a father. I will, I'm born of him. He's not like my stepfather. He's actually my father. And I can call him Abba, Father. If you come to my room that day, that, that night, you think I was crazy. I, for the first time, found my father. Abba, Baba, Father. I was crying. I don't remember how long. I, you know, I know that I'm calling my father. And the healing was taking place. I was crying. I was, Abba, Father. And that was the day the healing took place. And kind of my posture, the way I relate to God, totally changed, and he is my father, your father, and you are sons and daughters of the living God. So God gave us the spirit of his son to call him Abba, Father. We need to be bold. It's not, uh, uh, as um, Luther said, Lutheran Calvin said, that it's not a, uh, 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 something that we say with hesitancy, but with great boldness. And Paul said, if, if a son then you are an heir. There's a beautiful progression. You know, first we are set free from slavery. Then we are declared sons and adopted into God's family. Then our sons and daughters, we are mere heirs. Paul made it clear what we inherit, an heir of God through Christ. We inherit God himself. It's not some kind of material that we are inheriting. We are actually inheriting God himself, the life of God. You know, he, he is our, you know, he said to to Abraham, he said, I am your portion. It's not some kind of land that I am giving you. I am what you need. I am your portion. God is our portion. God himself is our inheritance. And we are his uh, children. Then why would we go back into slavery? God is asking us this morning through Paul, why would you ever want to go back to slavery by putting your confidence on your own performance? We are invited every day to return to our former master, we are tempted to return to the mastery of sin. We are tempted to return to the chains of human effort. Anytime we rely on our performance rather than God's provision, we are going back to slavery. When we think that Jesus isn't enough, that vacuum is always filled by our moral ability and religious accomplishment. Turning back to our efforts either leads to feeling of pride or condemnation. What we do can never be the basis for God's acceptance. We shouldn't live transactionally with God. We should live in a relationship with God. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Parker asks the question, what is a Christian? And he says, the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. 
If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. Are you performing trying to earn God's approval, acceptance, and love? Are you struggling to open up your heart to God to receive his love because of the negative experiences in your life? Are you struggling to cry out, Abba, Father, because of your experience with your natural father? God wants to heal us. He wants to restore our confidence in his love. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Cry out, Abba, Father, rejoice. God is your Father. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and just pray. Um, maybe maybe <clears throat> we have, we have uh, called God Abba, Father, but, but with hesitancy, you know, with, with doubt, but God wants us to call him today, Abba, Father. Would you do that with me? Would you say that with me? Abba, Father. Can you say it again? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. He is our Father. I just want you to open up your heart and just cry out to him. Just tell him that he is your father. And call him Abba, Father. Let it, let it come from within you. Let it come with great confidence that he is, he has given you the spirit of his son who cries out within us saying, Abba, Father. If we had hurts and rejections in our life that, that is preventing us from opening our hearts to receive his love, God is willing to heal us. Just, just ask the Spirit of God, Lord, help me, heal me, I pray. Help me to open up my heart to receive your love. Father, we just want to thank you. For delivering us from slavery. From our own effort and performance. Through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for adopting us to your family. That we are your children. Your sons and daughters of God. Father, we pray today that we may call and cry out, Abba, Father, with confidence that we may walk our Christian life knowing that you are our Father, that we don't need to do anything to be accepted by you. We don't need to do anything to be loved by you. We don't need to do anything to receive from you. For we have been accepted and loved and received. May we rejoice in who we are in you.
We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's just pray and respond to the word of God.